everyone, and welcome back to another episode of Unjustly. My name is Stephanie, and this is my co-host, Sandy. Hey, everyone. So I hope everyone is holding up and taking 2021 day by day. I know it was a little naive to think that with a new presidency and a new year, things would magically be different and better. But as we've all seen, that's just not been the case. I don't know about you guys, but it's been a struggle to keep up with the news lately. So I've kind of had to just take a step back and watch other things. (laughs) It's daily. It's multiple times a day. Mm Mm-hmm. But I do hold on to the little but major victories like that of the guilty verdict and the Derek Chauvin trial. Mm -hmm. As we all know, a guilty verdict is not really justice because we're still living in a world in which a man was murdered in plain sight by a figure that is supposed to be there to protect us. But I do hope that this verdict sets a precedent for us moving forward. Today I will be discussing an issue that has sadly been at the forefront of many social justice discussions in the short but troubling year that we've had. I will be discussing Asian American hate and what has led to the recent increase in hate crimes. But before getting started, I just wanted to say that I'm not an expert and that I, like many of you, have been uneducated in this issue and the history behind what fuels Asian American hate today. But this is also a very important issue to me personally, so I felt compelled to share a little knowledge with you all. And it's important to me because I am married to a Filipino American and will one day have a Filipino Mexican American baby. Right? Like, that's, like, long. but I I didn't even think about that, but... (laughs) Yeah. That's amazing. But I also grew up in a part of San Diego that has a large Asian community and went to UC San Diego, a college whose campus is made up of 30% Asian students, although I would say it's higher than that because statistically 23% of the campus is made up of non-residents, many of whom come from Asian countries. So I would say that the the 30% is probably higher than that. Absolutely. So you can say that this is something close to my heart, and I hope to shed some light on how our history and our words have had a direct impact on how we view and treat one another. People of Asian descent have been living in the United States for more than 160 years and have since been a target of bigotry. To understand the surge in Asian American hate, we need to look at the violence and racism Asian immigrants and Asian Americans have faced since the Civil War. Chinese immigrants began arriving in the United States in large numbers in the 1850s mostly landing in California and other western states to work in mining and railroad construction. These jobs were dangerous and low-paying and plentiful, but not many were willing to take on the risk of working these jobs, so Chinese immigrants started filling these positions. While these were jobs no one wanted, almost immediately after Chinese immigrants began working them, the racist trope of Asian-stealing white jobs was born, Mm. and in 1854, the California Supreme Court reinforced racism against Asian Americans in People v. Hall, a ruling that people of Asian American descent could not testify against a white person in court, What? all but guaranteeing that white people could escape punishment for anti-Asian violence. What? Yeah. So, like, if a white person assaulted them they can't testify against them yeah so specifically in people v hall george hall shot and killed a chinese immigrant by the name of ling sing and the testimony of many witnesses was rejected simply because they were asian oh my god right so this ruling upholds or states that asian american people cannot testify against That's or asians can't testify against white people in a court of law oh my god okay Yeah, so we're getting started. And so basically the rest of this episode will be um, a list of like major historical events that have shaped and formed the way we view and mistreat Asians and and, like how it's all impacted. 
And then we have the Chinese Massacre of 1871. While rival Chinese groups fought, a white man was killed in the crossfire and more than 500 white and Hispanic rioters began surrounding and attacking the Los Angeles small Chinese community. At least 17 Chinese men and boys were lynched. They were hanged anywhere the rioters could find a beam to string a noose over. Of the 500 rioters, only eight were convicted of manslaughter, but their convictions were all overturned and no one else was ever punished. So we start seeing a blatant disregard for Mm -hmm. Asian lives and little to no accountability for those committing violence against them. After slavery was abolished, thousands of Chinese people were brought to the country to work in industries such as railroads, sugar plantations, and mining. The Page Act of 1875 blatantly excluded East Asian women from the country because of stereotypes that they were sex workers and temptations for white men. This made their immigration illegal and barred existing Chinese-American women from becoming citizens. Wow. And then the Chinese Exclusion Act of 1882 was enacted, which excluded Chinese men, and the act banned Chinese immigration for 20 years. President Chester A. Arthur vetoed it, but then ended up signing another version with a 10-year ban. And this was the first law which placed a restriction on immigration to the United States, And it was extended for more than 60 years before it was repealed in 1943. Wow. Imagine what that does to an entire generation of people who grew up in a world in which a group of people has been banned from your country for so long. And again, I'm no expert, but when I hear the term ban, I automatically assume that it's because it's something bad, um, untrustworthy, Mm -hmm. or negative. So it's, yeah, so Mm -hmm. it's not surprising that the Chinese Exclusion Act in many ways attributed to the growing sentiment of anti-Asian discrimination, racism, and violence. Mm -hmm. And then on September 2nd, 1885, 150 white miners in Rock Springs, Wyoming, brutally attacked their Chinese co-workers, ultimately killing 28, wounding 15, and driving several hundred out of town. The white miners were working in the Union Pacific coal mine and had been struggling to unionize and strike for better working conditions. Union Pacific decided to bring in Chinese workers as strike breakers as they showed little interest in the miners' union. Upset at the decision to allow Chinese miners to work, a mob of white miners decided that they would attack the small Chinatown in Rock Springs. Many, seeing the mob approach, decided to flee, but those who failed to escape in time were brutally beaten and murdered. Mm-hmm. A week later, on September 9th, U.S. troops were called in to escort the surviving Chinese workers back into town where many of them returned to work. Union Pacific would eventually fire 45 of the white miners for their roles in the massacre, but no effective legal action was ever taken against the participants. Of course. The Rock Springs massacre was symptomatic of the anti-Chinese feelings being shared by many Americans at this time. And it's just crazy that, like, They were upset at Union Pacific, Mm -hmm. and instead of, like, attacking Union Pacific, they attacked the people who just, I mean, kind of, like, casualties, right? Like, Mm -hmm. they were brought in, and it's they have no choice. Mm -hmm. They're just there to work, and then they end up murdering them. And as if racial tensions weren't high enough, in 1900, an outbreak of bubonic plague struck San Francisco. While it's very likely that the outbreak had actually arrived in a ship from Australia, the first stateside victim was a Chinese immigrant, and the entire community was then blamed for it. Almost immediately, the city's Chinatown had been surrounded by police preventing anyone but the white residents from coming or going. Chinese residents were also subjected to home searches, which led to much property destruction. 
And this would, of course, be a prelude to the racism that has been directed at Asian Americans during the pandemic, Mm -hmm. in which former President Trump continuously called coronavirus, the China virus, the Wuhan virus, and of course, the Kung flu. Oh, my God. It's just embarrassing to even say that those words came out of a president's mouth. Yeah. The Chinese have been victims of prejudice and violence and have been widely blamed for all sorts of social ills. In this climate of racial hatred, violent attacks against the Chinese in the West had become all too common. In 1933, mobs of white people attacked Filipino farm workers after they had been seen dancing with a white woman in Watsonville, California. The state would address this issue by enacting a law that prohibited marriages between the two groups. The following year, in 1934, Congress decided to restrict Filipino immigration to the United States to just 50 people per year. All of this, even though the United States had just completed almost 40 years of military domination over the Philippines. By the 1940, tens of thousands of Japanese immigrants and Japanese Americans had built lives in the United States, but after the bombing of Pearl Harbor by the Japanese in 1941, The United States entered World War II and forced all Japanese immigrants into internment camps for the duration of the war due to the fear that they might aid the enemy. The conditions of the camps were extreme. They were blazing hot in the summer and freezing cold in the winter, and no spies were ever found. Of course. So all of this was for nothing. When the Japanese immigrants were freed, many would return to their homes and businesses to find that they had been vandalized or confiscated. More than 40 years later, in 1988, survivors received a presidential apology and $20,000 each in reparations. Then we move on to the close of the Vietnam War, during which the United States had resettled many Vietnamese refugees who had fled a humanitarian crisis back home. With hopes of starting to earn a living and settle into their new homes, many of them took up shrimp fishing in Texas. As they worked hard and began dominating the shrimping industry, the trope of Asians coming to take white jobs had been resurrected, only this time it came back wearing a white hood. The KKK. KKK KKK leader Louis Beam began training his members, including children as young as eight years old, to use grenades and assault rifles as they patrolled the waters in the regalia and set boats owned by Vietnamese people on fire. Wow. I've never heard of this. (laughs) With the help of the Southern Poverty Law Center, a group of fishermen filed a suit against the Knights of the KKK, and it was during this trial that a video was uncovered which showed Beam instructing his trainees to utterly destroy everybody, maximum damage, maximum violence in the shortest period of time. They can only do one thing, die. Mm. So he was crazy. Wow. Clearly. I wonder why this isn't talked about. I mean, we talk about the KKK and it's just like, you know, everything that they did to black people, but we really don't ever go, go into depth about the other minorities mm-hmm. that they also messed around with. Yeah. Ultimately, the judge issued a court order ending the harassment and a second order disbanding Beam's paramilitary group and shutting down five of his training camps because he had training camps. And multiples at that. Yes. Oh, my gosh. In Texas? Texas. Wow. Yeah. And so now we move on to the 90s. While tensions had been building between the Black and Korean-American communities in Los Angeles for years, the city erupted in riots after a trial jury acquitted four officers of the LAPD for use of excessive force in the arrest and beating of Rodney King, which had been videotaped and viewed by the world. As the city burned, Korean-American businesses became targets, and thousands were damaged during the riots. In the year before the riots, there had been a growing resentment and violence between the African-American and Korean-American communities. 
and many Korean shopkeepers were upset because they suspected shoplifting from their black customers and neighbors, and many black customers were angry because they felt routinely disrespected and humiliated by the Korean store owners. And so that really led to this whole, like, animosity between the two. Mm -hmm. But then tensions escalated in March of 1991 when storekeeper Soon Ja Do had shot and killed black ninth grader Latasha Harlins after a physical altercation in which she was convicted of voluntary manslaughter. So this is a big, this is a big one. Like, this Uh can have its own episode. Mm Mm-hmm. And although the jury recommended the maximum sentence of 16 years, Judge Joyce Carlin decided against prison time and instead sentenced her to five years of probation, 400 hours of community service, and a $500 fine. Wow. Tensions, of course, further worsened after this. Um, and you can see all of this play out in the documentary that I've already talked about called Burn Baby Burn on Netflix which covers the LA riots and it does it in such an incredible way. So if you mm. haven't seen it, I highly recommend watching it because like I hate to use the word beautiful because mm-hmm. it's such an ugly thing that's being covered right. and what you're watching like I I literally have to like turn away or stop it and like come back to it because it's so awful what happened during the LA riots. Yeah. Like it was so violent, but the documentary I feel did such a good job in capturing the chaos and capturing the violence and capturing just what it must have been like to be there. Mm -hmm. So to be able to translate that, I thought was incredible. And so if you haven't seen it, I definitely recommend. And so after the September 11 attacks, hate crimes escalated against Muslims and those perceived to be Muslim, including people of South Asian descent. For example, only four days after the attacks... Aircraft mechanic Frank Silva Roque murdered Balbir Singh Sodhi, a Sikh American gas station owner originally from India, whom Roque mistook for Muslim. Discrimination against these groups would only worsen when Congress passed the Patriot Act, which conflated immigration and national security policy and forced 80,000 men from predominantly Arab and Muslim countries to register with the agency. NYPD and the FBI would actively surveil and harass Muslims across New York City for years after the attacks, although some would say that they still do today. Yeah. And so this brings us to present time, and it's important to note that racial violence against Asian Americans often goes overlooked because of persistent stereotypes about the community. Bianca Mabut Louie, a racial justice educator, says... I like that title, by the way. Racial justice educator. <laughs> like, I don't know what that is, but I'm like, that's a cool, like, I name. wonder if, like, we're technically that, too. That's what I said. I, that's what I was thinking. Like, I'm a racial justice educator <laughs> on, this po- on this podcast only. <laughs> Not outside of it. But that's what I want my title to be. So what she says is that there is a stereotype and an assumption that Asian Americans have class privilege, that they have high socioeconomic status and education, and that any discrimination doesn't really happen or feel legitimate. She cites that the pervasiveness of the model minority myth as a leading factor to the current climate. The model minority myth is a false idea that was constructed during the civil rights era to stymie racial justice movements and suggests that Asian Americans are more successful than other ethnic minorities because of hard work, education, and their inherently law-abiding natures. Do you remember going over this in any of your classes? Because this was a big one for me. No. Mm -mm. The myth continues to erase the very real interpersonal violence that we see happening today and that Asian Americans experience daily. The model minority myth also suggests upward mobility and creates a false idea that Asian Americans don't experience struggle, racial discrimination, or violence, which we all know is untrue. 
Last year, former President Trump reinforced white supremacist narratives with his insinuations about the origins of COVID-19, which, like I said earlier, he coined the China virus. Mm -hmm. Many warned that his dehumanizing and xenophobic rhetoric would exacerbate the possibility of violent attacks during a global pandemic. Examples of this can be found throughout history. Jewish communities were targeted during the bubonic plague in the 1300s. Irish immigrants were blamed for typhoid in the 1800s. Haitian Americans were thought to be responsible for HIV in the 1980s. Chinese Americans for SARS in 2003. Mexican Americans for swine flu in 2009. West Africans for Ebola in 2014. And again today, Asian Americans for Mm COVID-19. For Asian Americans, we see a contrast between the two most common Asian American stereotypes, in some instances being wielded as a model minority and in others as a perpetual foreigners who pose a threat to stability and order. These dually harmful, racist, and pervasive stereotypes of Asian Americans as both the model minority and yellow peril shape the narrative of how we can place these hostilities that consistently emerge during moments like the ones we are currently living through. During disease outbreaks, attacks on marginalized groups are not an exception, but instead the norm. This racism and xenophobia were additionally stoked by discourse that cast the bodies and behaviors of Chinese Americans and other Asian Americans as suspicious and even at fault for spreading disease. While viruses and other pathogens do not discriminate between hosts based on race, ethnicity, nationality, or immigration status, stigma and misinformation certainly do. Frustration over the recent rise in reports against Asian Americans have left many feeling vulnerable with each new attack, many of which have not led to arrest or have been charged as hate crimes. The frustration seemed to erupt on a national scale in March when Robert Aaron Long, a white man, targeted three Asian-run massage parlors in the Atlanta area and killed eight people. Six of the victims were Asian women. The victims were disproportionately older Asian women. They were sisters, mothers, and grandmothers, and all people who worked in a low-wage job. The shootings and other recent attacks have exposed difficult questions involved in proving a racist motive. Did the assaults just so happen to involve Asian victims, or did the attackers single out Asians in an unspoken way that can never be presented as evidence in court? And while many in the media and in law enforcement were quick to flatten the story to one motive, they ignored the most toxic intersecting factors plaguing Mm -hmm. society today and contributing to rampant violence. White supremacy, misogyny, permissive gun culture, and classism. And as it turns out, words do have consequence because these senseless murders also underscore the ways in which women, particularly women of color and migrant women, have been blamed or killed due to their identity. Instead of blaming men's lack of ability to deal with sexual rejection or shame, Women are often blamed by virtue of what we wear, or in the case of the Atlanta shootings, simply because of who they are. During a press conference, police reiterated the shooter's narrative of his alleged sex addiction without questioning the rampant hypersexualization of Asian women throughout U.S. history mm-hmm. and in American media and culture. These stereotypes have perpetuated and normalized misogynistic racism against Asian women, particularly misogyn spa workers that provide healing services. Whether or not they were sex workers or self-identified under that label, we know that as massage workers, they were subjected to violence stemming from the hatred of sex workers, Asian women, working class people, and immigrants. Asian Americans are left wondering how much cultural stereotypes that cast them and especially women as weak or submissive targets have played a role. 
As I mentioned, many incidents that seem to be clearly racially motivated have not resulted in arrest. As a debate over what legally qualifies as anti-Asian bias unfolds, the community has been left grappling with the reality that our laws are simply not designed to account for many of the ways in which Asian Americans experience racism. For example, in New York State, to charge attacks as hate crimes, prosecutors must show that victims were targeted strictly because of their race, but proving a racist motive against Asians is difficult. There is no widely recognized symbol of anti-Asian hate comparable to a new source swastika, which is another thing we talked about mm, in our classes, mm-hmm. is that there's no one one thing. And historically, many Asian hate crime victims around the country have been small business owners who were robbed, which complicated the question of motive because it's like, are they robbing you because you're Asian and they don't like you? Or are they robbing you because they're trying to get merchandise or product? So Asian Americans are sharply divided over the best measures to curb the violence, reflecting the wide ideological and generational differences within a group that encompasses dozens of ethnicities. Some have called for lowering the bar to bring hate crime charges, toughening penalties, and boosting funding for police departments to investigate attacks against Asians, but others have opposed these proposals, saying that more policing could harm their own communities, worsen racial tensions, and disproportionately target the Black and Latino communities that have long dealt with aggressive policing already. Mm -hmm. So it's like there's this huge debate over how can we do better at charging hate crimes? Yeah while not causing like a ripple effect into the other communities that are already facing, you know, aggressive policing and not causing more friction between the the groups, right? So Mm -hmm. like, so as the debate continues, the reality is that to end racist and sexist violence, the United States will need to recognize and embrace the diversity of all of its communities as a strength, while more importantly, dismantling white supremacy, which really seems to be at the core of all social justice issues. And although this new administration brings hope, as a bill to combat hate crimes against Asian Americans has passed the Senate with bipartisan support, we all need to understand the importance of knowing our history and how it's shaped the world we live in today because it continues to perpetuate white supremacy and misogyny. We must continue to support movements like Stop AAPI Hate, which was created in direct response to the alarming escalation in xenophobia and bigotry resulting from the pandemic. Mm -hmm. And I truly hope that this has helped you better understand how our past has had a direct hand in the rise of violence against the Asian American community. And one thing that has just been so interesting in like researching this, but just also just researching everything Mm -hmm. is how much we all have shared experiences as minorities. Mm -hmm. We have all in one way uh, or another experienced great pain and suffering at the hands of white supremacy and have in many ways been pitted against one another to make us believe that the progress of one community means Mm -hmm. a step back for others. And that's just, it's such a good way to keep all of us down. Right. Right. Is, Is this idea that, oh, like if Black Lives Matter then does that mean then my life as a Mexican-American doesn't matter? Does that mean Tim's life as a Mm Filipino-American doesn't matter? Mm -hmm. And it's like, no, but that's what they want us to believe. Mm -hmm. They want us to think that, like like I said, like one community progressing means the other, all of the other of us are getting pushed back or are not important. And that's just not true. Like, I've always wondered, why haven't we as minorities just created, like, this super group? Oh, absolutely. You know, Mm -hmm, because mm -hmm. that would just, like... To me, make it obviously makes so much sense. But then, you know, you start looking into the history and in one of the ma- the L.A. massacres, Hispanics were involved in lynching mm. 
the Asian Americans. So it's yeah. like there's this long seated history that kind of makes it very complicated, not kind of makes it so complicated for mm-hmm. Pete, for all of us to kind of just put our differences aside. Mm-hmm. But again, the root of evil comes back to one main group. And yeah. it's and that's where I think all of the focus needs to be put yes. on and dismantling white supremacy mm-hmm. so that we can create a world and create laws that work for everyone and not just one group, mm-hmm. right? Yeah, absolutely. Because, I mean, a step forward for one ethnicity is usually a step forward for all, all of, of us. us. And it definitely opens the way for progression and for other minorities as well. So I feel with the ideal of one community moving forward and the rest being pushed back, I feel like that's something white supremacists came up with and made us believe and mm-hmm. pinned us against each other right. because they don't want us to band together mm-hmm. and work that's together. That's what scares them. Absolutely. Absolutely. As it should. So you guys, let's get it together. Yeah. Well, I saw it was really beautiful in um, San Francisco after some of the assaults on the Asian community was happening that there is a group of um, black people. And, uh, and I think it was Hispanics, too. They joined together and they were patrolling mm-hmm, uh, Chinatown right, yeah. to, to protect them. And like them. Um, walking people home yes. and like making sure they got home safe. Yeah. That's what we need. And that's exactly what mm-hmm. we need. And, you know, I this episode can go on for a really mm-hmm. long time. So I tried to keep things as concise and um, just give you all like a basic overview of all of these things because I think a lot of us have learned about the internment camps yeah. or have learned about the Chinese Exclusion Act. But like from what I remember, I think I learned that in like third grade when we're talking about like social studies or whatever it Mm -hmm. was. And that as a third grader, you don't understand those things. And it's not until you become an adult and start living and interacting and dealing with people from different backgrounds that you really kind of start to wonder like, why are people like this? Or Mm -hmm. why are certain groups like this? Or whatever the case is. And so I hope that this just helps kind of give you a glimpse into what the Asian American communities and it's been all Asian American communities. Mm-hmm. It hasn't just been one. It's been across the board and, and yeah. you know, what they've had to deal with here in America, because I think the model minority myth is strong and it's it's held yeah. to this day. And I think a lot of people, including people within that community, believe that well, no, they're like, you know, we don't have any issues because we're hardworking because Mm -hmm. we we do, you know, we are educated. We do go to college, like all of these things. We work hard so that we can open our own businesses. Mm -hmm. I think it's like gone into even their own communities where it creates even more division between them and the other minorities that don't haven't had the success maybe mm-hmm. but they haven't had the success because the laws have been against them and so it's just, yeah. just like this never Everyone ending has thing. their own issues so hopefully and reasons why. you guys just take this and it kind of you know piques your interest and you're yeah. able to do a little more research, research or research. look into it or at least at the very least just understand that we have all experienced awful things yeah and continue to do so and it just so happens that unfortunately in this year it seems to be well, no, not this year. This year and this past year, it's been mm-hmm. the Asian American community. And mm-hmm. we need to take these attacks seriously. We need to be there for one another and just band together. Yeah. Be kind to each other. Yeah. So actually, I have a quote that just kind of came up. And it's by a philosopher and theologian. His name is Jean Veneer. And he once said, each human being, however small or weak, has something to bring to humanity. As we start to really get to know others, as we begin to listen to each other's stories, things begin to change. 
we begin the movement from exclusion to inclusion, from fear to trust, from closedness to openness, from judgment and prejudice to forgiveness and understanding. It's a movement of the heart. So I feel Mm. like that is so true. Like if once, if we just begin to listen to one another and accept that someone else's suffering does not take away from your suffering Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. or from your pain, then we can move on to a world where we're just more accepting and understanding of one another and what everyone has gone through. So I hope you guys enjoy this episode. Do the things. Rate and review. <laughs> Do you have anything Do to say? Do all the things. Do all the things. Follow us on social media, Unjustly Podcast. Leave a rating and review on Apple Podcasts to help us spread more awareness of the issues that we're talking about. Um, let's gain more momentum on these social injustices and be kind. Be kind. Take care of each other. Let's start those building blocks to help each other. Yes. I saw a term and I think it was like cultural bridges or something like Mm. that. And I think it pertained to something completely different, but the the term itself stuck out and Mm -hmm. it was just kind of like a nice, I don't know, to me, it was like a nice term where it Mm -hmm. it is, it really is a bridge. Like we're not going to be a hundred percent. We can't, we can never a hundred percent be like, yes, I understand what you've been through, but I've gone through things myself. So I understand what pain is and I understand what suffering Mm -hmm. and frustration and all of these things are Mm -hmm. and so like you can build on that Mm -hmm. so hopefully we can all build on those things like you said you know having like the hispanic community and the like black community um patrolling the streets Mm -hmm. and helping them like that's Mm -hmm. such a nice thing and it it's nothing crazy you're just there for your neighbor you're there for the people that you live around and you see someone who needs help help Mm -hmm. so thank you guys next week for a mini sewed mini (laughs) sewed Thanks for sticking around. Thank you. Bye. I mean, I'd hope so. (laughs) I hope it's amazing. It's all very scary. (laughs) I mean, kids in general are fucking scary. That's what I'm saying. Like, I can't even get into the topic of babies. I get hot and sweaty. (laughs) Like, I can't deal with it. The anxiety is so crippling when it comes to babies. These jobs are dangerous and low pain. These jobs are dangerous and low playing. No. Low pain. I want to say playing. You want to pause and then I'll just say pain. <laughs> <laughs> While rival Chinese groups fought, a white man was called. He was killed. Not called. While Chinese. No. Then we have the Chinese. No, I can't. I can't. I don't even know where to start at this point. <laughs> I don't even know. Did they actually each receive it? Don't ask me questions. I don't have answers for. <laughs> <laughs> don't. How, are you, how dare you, Sandy? <laughs> have a jolly molly Christmas. God, I cannot wait for Christmas. (laughs)